I will feast at the table of the Lord. I will feast at the table of the Lord. I won't hunger anymore. Welcome to the table. You are listening to the Kingstown Communion podcast with lead pastor Michelle Matthews. The Kingstown Communion is a new United Methodist Church existing to gather people into communion with Jesus Christ through courageous conversation, creative community, and collaborating for the common good. We worship at Island Creek Elementary School, 7855 Morning View Lane, every Sunday at 10 a.m. For more information about upcoming events and opportunities to serve, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash Kingstown Communion. We're glad that you're listening along with us. If you live close by, we hope you'll join us for worship in person. And if you ever feel so inclined to help us by giving financially, you can do so on our website, kingstowncommunion.net.
The scripture reading is from the book of John, <clears throat> book one or chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things came into being through him, and without him not one thing came into being. What has come into being in him was life, and the life was the light of all people. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness shall not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify to the light, so that all might believe through him. He himself was not the light, but he came to testify to the light. The true light, which enlightens everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own, and his own people did not accept him. But to all who received him, who believed in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood, or of the will of the flesh, or of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and lived among us, and we have seen his glory the glory as of a father's only son, full of grace and truth. The word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God. Thanks be to God. So I have a friend uh, who gives the same Christmas present every year to his wife. Around the beginning of December, he gathers together uh, all kinds of photographs from the year, uh, and he picks eight of them, eight photographs that, that represent what the year was like, the centrality of that year. And then he arranges them in a frame and writes the number 2018 on it or whatever the year is that year. Uh, and finally, he, he lays them out, puts the glass over top, puts it under the Christmas tree wrapped for her. And their dining room now is just plastered with these frames from year after year after year. And, and I mean, the walls just covered, overcrowded and covered with tons of these frames. And he somehow, he uses his camera to order his world, to shape his memories of his year with his wife, and to identify what is at the center of that year. Remarkably, the gospel writers do the same thing. They do something quite similar. They take, they arrange all of these visual images in kind of a circle within a frame called the Christmas story. The Christmas story isn't so much the highlights of zero B. C or 4 BC, some people debate the year. It's more like the highlights of all of the world's history, the center of all of the world's history. Think for a moment about the photographs, the eight photographs that would be in that frame. Think first about all of creation. Like creation has to be in God's frame, right? It has to be one of the highlights. The God who made heavens and earth, the blankets of the stars and all of us that fall under it, 
gives us a little reminder of that creating presence of God, that starry wonder in the story of Christmas as God sets a star in motion across the sky to lead the Magi to the stable. And so if we were putting together this eight-image collage with one in the middle as the center, we would have creation there. We'd have the creation story to tell us, to show us that God is the God of science and the universe and all the galaxies and all the black holes and all the big bangs. That God is big enough and limitless enough to hold the mystery of creation and the illumination of science all together in God's hand. That's the first picture. Second picture has got to be Herod. Second picture in God's frame has got to be Herod. Other politicians are mentioned in this story, though. We have um, the Emperor Augustus. We have the Governor Quirinius in this story. But the photograph in this collage has to be Herod, that half-Jewish, jealous puppet king, furious at the news of a pretender to his throne, and showing up in that story to show us that God is also about politics. And about this story is a little bit about power and about alliances and about uneasy heads that wear crowns. If Herod's photograph is in this frame, then we learn that God has always been involved in the politics, the ordering of humanity, but seldom in the way that those who are in charge ever want him to be. And then the third picture. The third picture has to be the wise men. The wise men themselves, not the star. And so the the third photograph, the wise men, would exist to show us what religion and philosophy can do. The magi are people who had spent their lives pondering the inner and outer mysteries of the universe and creation and science. And the summit of their searchings took them across the desert of human ignorance to the very threshold of God in a stable. This picture, which would have to be in the frame of God's unveiling story, would show us that other idols and other philosophies and books And all the information we could gain in the world can take us to Jerusalem, but it can never take us to Bethlehem. It can take us to a throne, but it can never take us to the manger. The picture of the wise men would show us that us the best that historical human endeavor can can ever achieve. And of course, the fourth picture in this frame and God's frame on God's dining room wall would have to be the shepherds. Here is a group of people at the very bottom of the socioeconomic pool. Their kind of work excluded them from the religious rituals of cleansing and eating that separated the holy from the unwashed. They were dirty, uneducated, generally despised by everyone, But the shepherd's photograph in our Christmas frame shows us that their faces were lit by angels' light. 
Their hearts were lifted up by this amazing news. Their tongues are singing (laughs) with the joy that has now come to the world. This picture of the shepherds (laughs) on God's dining room wall is to show us that God is closest to those the world keeps at a distance. And don't forget about the fifth picture of the seven around the center. It would have to be Joseph. He's this man who dreams dreams, it says. His photograph ought to show him asleep, actually, because four times, four times he dreams. He dreams that the child is God's son. He dreams that Herod means trouble. He dreams that Egypt is the best place to run. He dreams that it's time to go home. This photograph of Joseph shows us that God works through the conscious and the unconscious, the subconscious, that the netherworld of dreams, just as much as the concrete world of reality, is the theater of God's glory. And then picture six in God's frame would have to be Mary. Here we see an open mouth when the angel appears, an open mind when the angel speaks of the incomprehensible things of God, an open mind when the angel speaks of things that she could never possibly understand, and though hidden for modesty's sake, an open womb in which a new creation can begin to take shape. Mary's photo in God's frame reminds us that God isn't just the God of science, or the God of politics, or the God of philosophy, or the supernatural, or of social justice, but that God is the God of family drama, too, of unforeseen pregnancy, too, of community embarrassment, and the mundane and the glorious experience of a young woman bringing a child into the world. And then the last picture around this frame would have to be the angels, One comes to Zechariah, one comes to Mary, one comes to Elizabeth. The first one and then then a whole multitude show up to the shepherds. Can you imagine this picture? A a, a picture depicting all of the angels. That is a spectacular picture. And what do these angels have to tell us in God's picture frame? They show us that God is orchestrating an extraordinary symphony, a unique drama in which all kinds of pictures people God appears to, all kinds of people, rich and poor, Jew and Gentile, male and female, ruler and oppressed, black and white, gay, straight. Indeed, the whole created order is constellated around one event, one definitive event. And the truth is, though, that none of those photographs around the edge is as spectacular as the central picture. They're all the pictures that are arranged around the image that says it all. And that central photograph is not of a grand mathematical theorem or an as yet unseen intergalactical phenomenon of science. That central photograph is not an emperor or an elected president or a self-aggrandizing tyrant. That central photograph is is not a great philosophical breakthrough like for the wise men or a meeting of the world's religious leaders. 
That central photograph is not a march for justice or an act of social protest. That central photograph is not an inspiring dream for what the world can be in 2019. That central photograph is not even a person like Mary who for once is faithful to God's will in her life. That central photograph is a baby. A baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and laid in an animal's feeding trough. Christianity is certainly about all of these things. It's about science, it's about politics, it's about philosophy, it's about judgment, it's about justice, it's about dreaming dreams, it's about faithful discipleship, and it's about God working through all of history over time. But fundamentally, Christianity begins with a tiny baby. And that baby changes the way we think about all those other things. It changes the way we think about science because here at the heart of all things is vulnerable, fragile human life and human relationship. All the battles about science and and religion seem to miss this tiny baby at the center of it all. And that baby changes the way we think about politics because the way God exercises power when he has All the power in the world at God's disposal is by coming among us as a defenseless baby. And that baby changes the way we think about philosophy because at the end of all of our ponderings and all of our learnings and all of our wonderings and all the books that line our bookshelves, this baby is not an idea. It's not a word we can read. It's soft infant flesh. And that baby changes the way that we think about justice because the way God calls for justice is not with a campaign on the streets or a bill in Congress, but with a piercing cry in the middle of the night and an insatiable need for milk as the only thing that will satisfy. And that baby changes the way we think about dreams because now all of our dreams are focused on what this child has brought us. And that baby changes the way we think about what it means to be faithful people like Mary because now we see that caring for babies, caring for refugee and displaced babies, caring for babies arising from unexpected pregnancies and bringing about social embarrassment, caring for babies amidst violence and hatred and hardship and fear is the way we worship the God we find in that central photograph. The God we meet as a baby. God creeps into the hostile territory of human life under the radar. God comes not with an earthquake or a spaceship or after a lightning flash or at the end of a bloodthirsty battle. God enters God's own story, God's own drama in the most tiny, most ordinary, and yet most conventionally miraculous way of all. (laughs) Through an everyday but still breathtaking human birth, This is an awesome drama. And it's all lies not on the wide screen, but in the intensity 
and the intensity by which the whole history and meaning and purpose of creation are concentrated in this precious moment, this tiny body, this vital relationship, this vulnerable life. And so I wonder tonight, what is your central image? There are four Gospels that we could have read from, and most of the time we read from Luke on Christmas. The Gospel that recounts all of these other seven images is the Gospel of Luke. It's a long passage where we learn about it to the wise men and the shepherds and Mary and Joseph and the animals. And But here's the thing. The Gospel of John does something quite extraordinary. John never gives us any of those outside images. John gives us one image and one image only, which is Christ. The word of God became flesh among us. None of the other characters even exist. And so what is your central image tonight? What image would be in the center of your frame Have you uplifted science so much that there's no possibility that you can make room for the mystery of God when in fact God holds both in God's hand? Have you, are you just a reader? Do you read and read and read and you just, you're not going to be able to comprehend anything of God unless you can find it in a book somewhere. You're not going to find it in philosophizing and reading, and all of the things that you think your mind can, can behold. Have you tried over and over and over again to be a faithful person like Mary? And you're doing all the right things, and yet you still feel like something's missing? Do you have a dream for your life this year like Joseph, and you think that if only you could get that job, if only you could figure your way out out of this divorce. If only you could have the child you always dreamed for. All of these images are around the center image, which is the whole of everything, all of the universe combined. What is your central image? Would you pray with me? God, you are at the center of this evening as our fingers are becoming numb and our toes we cannot feel, we remember that you were born outside, surrounded by a small, small crowd of people that were made up of philosophers and the poor, people who dream big dreams and people who just want to be faithful under a blanket of stars that we couldn't even comprehend. And yet at the center of all of that is you and a tiny baby and your piercing cry we listen into tonight. Be born in our hearts today, Lord Jesus, as we pray that prayer that you taught us to pray when you grew up. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread 
and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Amen. This is the moment when we will collect our offering. Uh, we invite you to as any point as the next 15 minutes of the service as we close up, you may you know, come in close to the fire pits. Um, but when during communion, we will want to make sure that the aisles remain kind of open for walking. With those who are assisting, please come forward. Oh.